the, the plan over the next basically month and a half is we're going to spend the rest of this year in the Psalms. And so we're going to kind of do Thanksgiving in the Psalms, and then we're going to do Christmas in the Psalms. And um, going back to this series I did a couple of years ago, um, when we were over here in Gate 11 during the remodel of this, the song of my heart, and picking some different psalms this time, but kind of the same theme. And, and if you weren't around for that or, or don't remember, again, I, I know all of you have pages and pages of detailed notes of every sermon, um, so just flip back to a couple of years ago. Um, but as we start kind of just asking the questions, what are the psalms? Um, and, and just a couple of things to kind of give you an idea of what we're dealing with when we talk about the Psalms. Um, if the Bible is humanity's word from God, I think the Psalms could best be described as humanity's word to God. So God speaks to us through His word, but the Psalms are humanity's word back to God. And today we're going to look at a Psalm of a king named David. Um, and, and a little bit about his life and what led to this psalm. But the psalms, and, and what I love about the psalms the most, is they give us words to speak and converse with the divine. Because so often when we pray, our, our words feel inadequate, and they feel so short of what we should be able to say and communicate to God. And at times, I think there are things we don't even know what it is we're actually asking of God. There, there are these words, these moans, these, um, this searching, this longing to be in God's presence and not really sure how we communicate with Him. But the Psalms give us a framework and they give us words that we can speak to God and help us to relate to Him because they speak humanity's word to God. And then the third thing I would say is the Psalms are Jesus' prayer book. Um, Jesus quotes from the Psalms more than any other book in all of the Old Testament. He quotes Psalm 8, 22, 31, 35, 37, 41, 69, 78, 82, 110, 112, or I'm sorry, 118. Just over and over through Jesus' words, he's referencing the Psalms. And I think it is because it gives us words in moments when we feel we don't have the words to communicate. And so I want to begin um, this series with Psalm 140. Sorry, my microphone is doing some crazy things, it seems. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things that you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too numerous to declare. 
sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts to the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May the love, may your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, O Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who long for your saving, may those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So there is this lady, and her name is Jessica McClure. Here, here's her picture right here, um, taken a few years ago. Does anyone know who Jessica McClure is? If you're over 40, this picture would probably help a little bit more. This is baby Jessica. Go on to the next one. Zach, there we go. Baby Jessica. How many people remember baby Jessica? Baby Jessica was about 18 months old when she fell into a well in her aunt's backyard in Midland, Texas in 1987. And for three days, the world watched as people did their best to rescue baby Jessica from this well. And for three days, everyone was held in suspense as oil workers tried to figure out how to dig a parallel shaft down beside the well to cut into the well 22 feet below the surface to rescue her and save her. And it's interesting, in, in some articles that have interviewed her following the event. She says, I have absolutely no recollection of these events. I remember none of it being trapped for three days, 22 feet below the surface. And you think, well, that big of an event, that traumatic of an event had to have had some type of impact on your life. And I'm sure she remembers so much of the event because of what she was able to see, but in her mind remembers absolutely none of it. 
And I wonder at times if we remember. David begins this psalm with this statement, I waited patiently on the Lord. And he turned to me and he heard my cry and he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. For three days, she waited for her rescue. For three days, she was completely and utterly powerless to do anything to save herself. And it was only by the work of other people that she was lifted out. David, in his psalm, says, I waited patiently in the slimy pit, in the mud and the mire waiting for God to come and save, waiting for God to redeem. And if you listen to the psalm, David reminds us exactly what it was that put him in the mud and the mire. As he's waiting patiently on God, he reminds us of what it is that put him there. In verse 12, He says, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails within me. And then he ends the psalm with this statement. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and you are my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. David says, it's my own sin that has put me in the pit. It's my own sin that's put him there. And that's my my question this, this morning for all of us. Do you remember that what Jesus has done for you, lifting you out of the slimy pit, is because of our own sin? Because we have this tendency to forget rather easily. We have a tendency to look at everyone else and compare our lives to theirs and assume they are in more need of God's saving grace than we are. We have a tendency to forget our past pretty quickly. Because for me, I don't, I don't know about you, but I was born in a pew. Not literally, but the very first chance my parents had to have me in church, I was in church. I mean, I grew up in church. I was named after a preacher. And I was there all the time. It was a part of my life. It was all I ever knew. And I remember going into youth group. Ben and I actually talked about this a few weeks ago, just in a conversation. But I remember going into youth group and listening to people who would come in and talk about their story. And people would tell these stories like, you know, I was in drugs and alcohol, or I was addicted to something. And, and as a teenager, I would listen to their story, and literally, this is no joke, I would sit on the front row and say, man, my story stinks. I don't have any of that stuff in my past. 
And I look back on that now and I think, praise God that that wasn't my story. Now, at the same time, praise God for those people that is their story. But the, the point of David's psalm here is that just like the person who was addicted, just like the person who was strung out, just like the person who was divorced or disconnected, disillusioned, just like all of those people, I am in the same place. And David had this monumental moment that's recorded in Scripture. The, the worst moment of his life written down on pages that are going to be remembered for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He, he takes advantage of his power and his position. And he sleeps with a woman who basically has no choice but to follow his commands and his will. And she becomes pregnant because of David's sin. And then he has her husband killed to cover it up. And his sin is so out there that everyone forever is going to see. It's obvious. And so David says, it was me who was in the slimy pit. It was me who was in the mud and the mire. It was me who was in that place where I could not rescue myself and I needed to be redeemed. And it was God who heard my cry. And, and I love this phrase. It says He turned to me. He, he looked at Him face to face and He heard His cry. And he lifted him out of the pit, out of the mud and the mire. And he set him on solid ground. He gave him a firm place to stand, a rock that he could stand on. He was lifted out. And I wonder how easily it would have been for David on the other side. After He's come out of the pit. After he's been redeemed. After his standing has been secured. I wonder how easily it would be for him to forget where it is that he came from. I wonder how easily it is for you and I to forget that just like David, we were in the pit, we were lifted out of it and set on solid ground, and then we start to think, well, look what a great Christian I am. Look what a great follower of Jesus I am. And it's so easy to forget where it is that we come from. And to make matters worse, at times we're far more judgmental of the people who were where we used to be than we would ever be towards ourselves. It's once we're on the other side that we look back and we say, how in the world could someone be stuck there? Because our memory is so short. 
and David does not forget. That God has lifted him out of the pit. He set him. And so the question then is, what is it that puts us in the pit? And first and foremost, just like David says, it's his sin. It was my sin. It was my choices. I think it's in Psalm 51 that David says, against you and you only I have sinned. And I sit there and think, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't we ask Uriah if it was just your sin against God? Why don't we just ask Bathsheba? Was it just God that you sinned against? And it seems as if there's this short-term memory thinking that our sins don't affect other people. But I think one of the other things that puts us in the pit is other people's sin. Has anyone ever been forced to deal with someone else's sin in your life? Where you literally have done nothing and now you're forced to deal with the consequences of their choices. And in those times, I think it's even more obvious and it's more easy to slide into that place of, look at me. I've done nothing wrong. I, I don't deserve to be here. For, for years and years, things have been good in my life, and then they make this decision. We always move into this place of moral superiority. This place where we see ourselves as good. Because for most of us, we imagine the line of good and evil runs to the the, the left of us, and we stand on the right side with God. But understand this, the line of good and evil runs right down the center of all of us. And it is God who is redeemed, and God has lifted us out of the pit. And for these, for these Jews, understand that the pit was very real. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph is in kind of conflict with his brothers because he's dad's favorite. And so they do what? They, they're going to kill him, and instead of killing him, they throw him into a pit. They throw him into this cistern. And a cistern is basically this huge pit that's used to hold water. But when there's no water in it, it's still muddy and mucky and it's a place that it's impossible to get out of. And then God redeems Joseph out of the pit. And you think, well, how in the world does he redeem him out of the pit? His brothers sold him to this caravan that's passing by and sends him off to Egypt. But somehow, through all the mess, what we would look at and say is an absolute tragedy, God uses this moment to save Joseph. He uses other people that don't have any clue what's going on in Joseph's life, in Joseph's family, or in the rest of the world to save and redeem him by pulling him out of the pit. See, understand this, that, that David sees his sin as putting them in the pit. But then it's also the sin of other people that can put us in the pit. And then the third thing I think that puts us in the pit is just natural consequences of this world being broken. Right? Right, right now, we're living in the middle of a pandemic. And it is just natural consequences 
of a world that is broken. And, and no one here has done anything to cause it. No one online has done anything to cause it. But we're all left to deal with the repercussions of it. We, we all have to deal with the consequences of what's happening around us. And so David says, I find myself in this pit and I look back on my life and I realize that it's God who has redeemed me and brought me out of it. But the thing I love, and I, I said this earlier, the, the line I think I love the most in this psalm is the very first line. He says, I waited patiently on the Lord. Anyone ever been in the pit? You, you ever been in a pit? Maybe it was something you did that put you there. Maybe it was something someone else did that put you there. Maybe it was just simply the natural consequences. Maybe you would consider living in quarantine for the last eight or nine months a pit. But you find yourself in this place, and the realization hits you. There is absolutely nothing that I can do within my own strength power and intellect to pull me out. I am utterly and completely helpless. And so he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but the pits that I've been in, patience is not my best friend. The pits that I find myself in I want nothing more than to God than to God get me out now. Because I don't like being in this place. I waited patiently for the Lord. I think patience is a product of the pit just simply because there is no other option. Patience is a product of the pit simply because there are no other options. Because as we said, in this cistern, in this pit, and David was never thrown, I don't think that we, we say in a cistern, but, but it's the image that he uses. An, another prophet, Jeremiah, is going to be thrown in a cistern, a pit. Because he's speaking on behalf of God, and the king doesn't like what he's saying. And so he throws him into a pit. And he has to be redeemed. He was left there to die. And, and here's the thing. The pit is a prison. The pit is a prison. There is no hope of escape. Because the walls are slippery and slimy. And you cannot, under your own power, under your own intellect, under your own will, figure out a way out. So here's the deal. All of us, all of us, I don't care how long you've been in church, I don't care how spiritual you are, I don't care what titles you hold, all of us have put ourselves in the pit. All of us can, can speak with David 
Troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. All of us have been there. And all of us struggle to remember. And all of us struggle to wait patiently on God to get us out of the mess that we got ourselves into. I don't know if you've noticed, but we are a pretty impatient people. Right? And maybe if there's anything else that 2020 has showed us about ourselves, it's just how impatient we are. It has for me. How many times I've gotten frustrated because my Amazon Prime order that promises two-day shipping is going to take three. For something that I could have driven to Walmart a mile down the street and picked up that day. Not me, someone else I know. How, how impatient we've been in the waiting. How impatiently we find ourselves, God, I need your help. I need you to pull me out of the pit. Never mind that it's a pit I put myself in, but God, I need you to do this, and I need you to get it right on my schedule. See, I love the way David ends this psalm. He begins, I waited patiently on the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And then here's how he ends this. But as for me, I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Do you remember how we started the psalm? I waited patiently on the Lord. But God, if you're there, do not delay. I waited patiently until my patience ran out. I waited patiently until I couldn't take it anymore. I waited patiently until I needed you to come and get me out of the mess. How easy is it for us to forget the pits that we've put ourselves in? Because patience is simply a product of the pit. Because in the pit, there is no other option. See, and I wonder how difficult this lesson is for David to learn. Because David is king over Israel. And if you're king over Israel, who is it that everyone else looks to to save them? It's the king. Save us, O king. But what happens when the most powerful man who's king over all Israel has to look for help from outside of himself. Because if everyone else looks to you to save them, my guess is you begin to look to you to save you as well. I would imagine most of us have found ourselves in that place where we look to ourselves to be our Savior. We got ourselves into the pit. We got ourselves into the mess. We got ourselves into the mud and the mire. We will get ourselves out. And here's the bad news of the gospel. Because, right, the God, for the gospel to be good news, it's got to have some bad news. I think part of the bad news is there is nothing you can do 
to get yourself out of the pit. And for David, he comes to that realization. There is nothing that I can do to pull myself out of the pit. I'm not strong enough. I can't jump high enough. I can't climb. I can't do anything to get myself out of the mess I am in. Someone outside of myself has to come and save. And that is exactly what God does. I wonder, have you forgotten that that's not just David's story? That's our story. That that we have sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory and we needed to be saved. See, here's the problem in the pit. When you're in the pit, you can see outside the pit. And I think that's what makes patience so difficult. Because as you're in the pit, you can look up and you can see the outside. And all you can think is, well, everyone up there has it right. And it would be so easy if I could just get out to get things right. But just because you can see it, doesn't mean you're capable of getting yourself there. You can see God's glory all around you. You can see God doing amazing things in other people's lives. But just because you see it, doesn't mean you can get there on your own. I waited patiently. On the Lord. And He lifted me out of the mud and the mire. He, he turned to me. And, and He looked at me face to face. See, we have this idea that if, if people will feel the guilt of their sin and they will exercise enough willpower then they will be able to overcome their sin. And they will be able to overcome their addiction. Uh, Intellectually, I think we know that's not true. But in our heart, that is our message. You trapped in addiction, you got to try harder. Your your marriage on the rocks, you got to try harder. You struggling with sin, you got to try harder. Because if if that guilt is enough, and you try hard enough, then you can get yourself out. But David says, no, no, no. It was God who lifted me out of the pit because I was in a place where I could not stand. I was in a place where I was incapable of saving myself. And this just brought me to the realization that it it isn't just try harder. Because with that mindset, it basically says, well, I'm going to do about 90% of the work. And then the other 10%, God is going to take care of. 
I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to have more willpower. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to sing more. I'm going to be at church more. I'm going to do all these things to make sure. And then wherever I fall short, God's going to come and say, but the message of the gospel is you are 100%, not 90%, not 80%, not 50-50. You are 100% incapable of saving and redeeming yourself. You have to have the work and power of Christ in your life. And it's not guilt and it's not willpower that gets you there. It is the Spirit of Christ alive in you that leads you into the will of God where you begin to seek His will and His way over everything else in this world and in your life. It's not get it right within and then everything without will be right. It's begging and pleading for the Spirit of Christ because what David says is, God, I desire to do Your will. What happens is as we fall more and more in love with Jesus, our will begins to be transformed more and more into His will. And the things that we want out of our life are kind of sucked out and taken away and filled through His Spirit and His presence with the will of God to do in our life. We just need to tell people what to do. We make this faulty assumption that if people knew the right thing to do, then they would do it. See, it's not introducing people to a system. It's introducing them to the Savior. And David says, I know the Savior because I was in the pit and He pulled me out. He lifted me out and He gave me a firm place to stand. He set me on a rock And gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song. And a new song in the Old Testament is is kind of equal to a new work. He's done something new in my life. And I'm going to sing a new song to rejoice in the saving work and power of Christ. See, David's message, I think, to us through the psalm is simple. I waited patiently on the Lord because at this point of my life I had no other choice. Because I was in a place where I was completely incapable of saving myself. Where my strength was utterly useless. My power, my position mattered nothing. And God heard my cry for help. And He reached into the pit. And He pulled me out. And what David found in that moment was his desire all of a sudden switched. And it it wasn't that I need to figure out how to be the best king. It wasn't, I need to figure out how to to conquer the most lands. But now it was, I need to figure out how to better follow the will of Jesus. I need to figure out how to better follow the will of God at work in this world. I need to figure out what it looks like to walk with Christ. See, the hope is as you meet the Savior. As you are saved, as you are redeemed, as you're lifted out of the pit, 
that you would fall more and more and more in love with Christ. And that He would be the one that begins to convict. And He would be the one that sends His Spirit to live in and through you. And so that your prayer now becomes, may I follow your will. Or as Jesus prays, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, there's so much that we want to hold on to. There's so many things that we trust in to save us. And, And Jesus tells this story of this rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, God, I want to I be, have eternal life. I, what do I need to do? And he starts naming off all of the good things that he's done. How obedient he's been to the law. And Jesus says, there's still one thing you lack. Go sell everything and come and follow me. as we talked about last week, it's like you're walking through this field and you stumble upon this treasure. And because you realize the incredible value of the treasure, you go back to town and you take everything that you own and you sell it all so that you have enough money to go and buy the field. And everyone looks at you and says, what? you're insane, what are you doing selling all that you have to buy a field? but you sell it with great joy because you realize what you have in Jesus is far greater than anything this world has to offer. So as we begin this series from the psalm, as we wait patiently on the Lord, just a simple question Have you forgotten where you came from? Have you forgotten that you were redeemed by Christ? Have you forgotten that you need Jesus every bit as much as every other person on the face of this earth? The good news is no matter where you've been, no matter where you've done, when we cry out to Jesus, He turns and hears our cry. And He lifts us out of the slimy pit. And I think this this practice that we have of baptism is so beautiful in the midst of this psalm. Because if you're lifted out of that slimy pit, probably one of the things that you need most is to be cleaned. And God takes us out of that pit and He plunges us into this water. And He lifts us out of this water made new, made clean, redeemed. The hope of the gospel is not found in your strength or in your power. The hope of the gospel is found in Christ alone.
Father, today, we pray your blessing on us in this place. Father, we thank you that we have been redeemed, that we have been lifted out of the pit, that we have been given a firm place to stand, a rock that is Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, I pray that all who hear this message today would be reminded where it is that we came from. And Father, the beautiful, saving, powerful work of Jesus at work in our life. Father, we boast in You and You alone. It is in Christ alone that we are saved. Together we thank You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.